0: Everyone and welcome to the usc triple double podcast a part of the pair style podcast family of shows i'm your host shotgun sprightly joined by mr triple double himself my co-host connor morset connor how are we doing today
1: doing well looking forward to heading to las vegas on saturday for usc men's basketball against
0: gonzaga that should be a great game should be really fun uh we'll talk about that in a little bit i i gotta i gotta question though, Connor, are you sure you're okay? Because, you know, on our staff text threads, it seems like you're getting beat down a little bit by your first USC coaching search and all the -the off-the-wall back-and-forth rumors that are being thrown around. It seems like you're getting tired of it, and that's kind of a uh, welcome-to-covering-USC moment for you here. So uh, are are you really okay? I am really okay, but you're hitting (laughs) the nail on the head. I'm ready for this search to be
1: wrapped up. Hopefully, by the time people are listening to this, USC has hired a defensive coordinator, but who knows credit to Lincoln Riley for keeping everything so close to the vest. He's making our jobs really tough right now.
0: <laughs> well, the good news is there's no coaching coaching searches currently taking place on the basketball court at USC. We're going to break down all the action for the USC men's and women's basketball programs. In case you're joining us for the first time, the USC triple double podcast is the first regular hoops focus show on the Paris podcast network. So make sure you're liking, subscribing, leaving us a five-star review. Let Ryan know that you want to hear about some basketball. If you're enjoying the show, we really appreciate it, you know, and that helps us out as far as getting other listeners as well. We'll be breaking down all the action throughout the season from the Galen Center where there are big expectations for both Andy Enfield and Lindsey Gottlieb squads. That's right, Shotgun. Big expectations and some
1: big-time players, which we've seen go off in the last week with some school records and new career highs being set. In this episode, we'll take a look at everything that's taken place the last week and look forward to this week's upcoming action. That includes this year's marquee non-conference matchup coming up Saturday, which I referenced
0: earlier. Yeah, you know, the USC going to Vegas... Should have been an elite doubleheader weekend. USC football playing in the Pac-12 championship game on Friday. The Hoops team taking on Gonzaga on Saturday. Unfortunately, the football team didn't do their part, so fans won't get that double dip. But hopefully a lot of USC fans book their trip in advance or just still want to go anyways. It's Vegas it's early, you know, it's early December. Get out there, have some fun. You get to enjoy, you know, if you want, you probably can get some tickets for the Pac-12 championship football game. Enjoy. It should be a good game. That should be really fun. But then go out and support the, you know, Boogie Ellis, Kobe Johnson, and the guys, because they're taking on the West Coast's most consistent power for probably the last couple decades in, uh, in Gonzaga. So that should be a really fun one. Really quick, Connor, we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but What's the biggest thing that you're excited about with this matchup with Gonzaga?
1: Well, I just think it's another opportunity for USC to show that they've taken that step forward. Last couple of years, it's been great to see USC make the NCAA tournament, but of course, they've been one and done in those two tournaments. Gonzaga, Elite Eight last year, what they've been able to do under Mark Few. I know they've never won the big one, but they've gotten oh so close. There sort of what you're chasing if you're USC, that consistent Sweet 16 every year. And if things go your way, you do a little better. So it's a measuring stick game, and I'm excited to see how USC measures up. Well, I plenty to say about that
0: game a little bit later. But first, before Connor and I get into all of that, we're excited to talk a little women's hoops with this week's guest, USC Women's Assistant Coach Wendell Farrell. Dale has been alongside head coach Lindsey Gottlieb every step of the way at USC since she was hired in 2021. They're attempting to resurrect a Women of Troy program that's been, that's laid dormant for the better part of the last three decades, but they're well on their way, number six ranked team in the nation right now. This is their third year together at USC, but this is actually Dale's sixth season overall working with Lindsey Gottlieb, having spent three years on our staff at Cal. He's also spent time at UCLA, Vanderbilt, Michigan, as well as his alma mater, Eastern Michigan. He's got a unique perspective because he's done a little bit of everything, working his way up the ladder from graduate manager all the way up to where he is now. I'm talking academic mentor, camp director, video coordinator and more. So Uh, we're we're excited to welcome him in to to bring his perspective and give us some ideas from a little bit different uh, angle, I think. So thanks for taking the time
2: to join us, Dale. How are we doing today? Man, we're doing well. we got a day off after a good win. We'll come back the rest of the week and prepare for our game this weekend. I got to start there, you know, with
0: all the different, you know, the 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 journey you've been on, your path to get to where you are currently, you know, what unique perspective do you feel like you have with all those different roles that you've kind of uh, taken on as you've gone through your career?
2: Yeah, I think when you kind of get to this point uh, in your career, you kind of reflect about, you know, reflect back to where you started. And like in my heart, I'm a JUCO guy. You know, I play junior college basketball. I'm still really close with my coaches. Um, and once I transferred from there, it just, it showed me that no job is too big or too little. You know, you can do all the things still from mopping the floor, getting practice ready to recruiting and scouting. So I think my perspective comes from being a Juco guy, knowing that you're you're here to serve others, man. Is you got to pour into the people and to the programs that you, you know, that you work for.
1: I love that mindset, coach. Clearly, you've worked for everything that you've gotten. Let's look at this season off to a 6-0 and start, a couple of hard fought wins over some future conference opponents in the Big Ten. How would you assess how the season's gone so far?
2: Yeah, I think um, when you look at our schedule, we, we came out the gate with some some challenging teams. Obviously, Ohio State was preseason ranked, you know, number seven in the country. Uh, you look at Penn State, who coming into our matchup was five and zero had some really good quality wins, and even Seton Hall, was done a really good job in, in the Big East. Uh, we challenged ourselves from the go to kind of have a, a baseline of what our team could be for this year, and we accomplished those challenges. Um, when you look back to our very first game, I didn't, I wouldn't have thought that. You know, Juju will come out the gate and drop thirty plus on national TV in our very first game at eleven a.m. Um, uh, you know, broadcast. But um, I think we have the pieces and the people in place to be very successful this year.
0: We're gonna to get to Juju. We have got plenty of questions about her. She's yep, been so sure. good. Uh, but I, let me let's go back to Tuesday. You guys are coming off a big, you know, big blowout win over Cal Poly. What do you take away from a blowout win like that? Uh, you know, those those wins over Ohio State. Penn State, you're gonna get a little bit more out of to learn about your team, but you know once you get up big, what are you hoping to learn from the group uh, in a game like that?
2: Yeah, I think you know this season has you know showed us both. Like we've been we've been in tight, you know, one possession games back to Penn State to two or three possession games with Ohio State, and obviously you know we had a large margin last night, but you 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 learn from them all. Um, last night, we learned about rotations. We learned about some different defensive schemes. Um, we put in a few new hits on offense and ways to attack using our stretch four. Um, so, no matter the margin, we're always looking for ways to find ways to make us better because we know that the competition that we played last night might not necessarily be the competition we're going to play in a month here, you know, but it's still important to make sure that we're sharp, that we're sticking to our principles and trying to achieve our goals on the floor.
1: Coach, I know you're a big recruiter on this staff. What was the recruitment of Juju Watkins like, and how did you eventually get her to sign with USC over the East Coast, USC, South Carolina?
2: Yeah. Um, I think that first and foremost, this is a kid that in her heart always wanted to be here, but she needed a reason to be here. And that was, you know, the, the picture that Lindsay Gottlieb had to paint for her. So to let her know that she can be a, a, a star here, that she could be a, a winner here, that she can elevate a program to heights that haven't been seen since the eighties. Um, and I think that that vision allowed Juju to trust us. And I have to, you know, give a lot of props to everybody on campus from the admin on down. Every single person on this campus helped recruit that kid from Carol Folk to our coaches to anybody that we bumped into my, my boy Gavin in football. You know, there's everybody did their part. So um, we're super thankful that we have a community at SE that invested in the recruitment of Juju and our you know, future Trojans as well.
0: Don't give Gavin too much love because he'll be trying to take credit for Juju, yeah, Isaiah yeah, Collier. here, plus that's
2: my guy, man. He, I gotta show you guys him out, you know.
0: Uh, we love Gavin as well. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me, Lindsay said in a, in a recent um interview, was that you know she mentioned knowing about Juju when she was taking the job and didn't necessarily say that it was uh, you know a, a helping factor there, but to know the number one players right in your backyard that helps. So, you know, that's a three-year down the road kind of thing. What kind of game plan did you guys lay out to try to land her? And, you know, when you did
2: get that commitment, did that one feel different than any of the other players that you, you've had committed over the years? Yeah, man. I think that when we when we first got out here, that's the very first question anybody asks us. Are you getting Juju? <laughs> I remember, you know, Jay Hart, who's now the coach of, you know, the G League, team, mm-hmm. and he's probably like he is truly L.A. as well. And he's like, you got to get Juju, man. They're talking about her in every shop, at every store, at every market. And I'm like, man, like, I, I knew who she was. I knew who her, who her how her talents were. But I didn't understand how impactful she was to Los Angeles. Like, there are people who are part of the L.A. basketball community. And then there's Juju, who's like, even above that, she is Los Angeles from Watts to South Central to the West Side, like she is L.A. And I think that in the recruitment, we had to understand that. So we had to recruit her circle of influence. We had to recruit Los Angeles because if you have people in L.A. talking about staying home, it makes that much more impactful than just just the coaches. So from little kids coming to the games for autographs to people in the community, everybody did their part to make her feel like this could be your home and this is what you could help build. And when she committed, man, like I know she announced on SportsCenter, I think we were playing at University of San Diego. I forgot what day it was. And Lindsay's like, oh, Juju's going to announce tomorrow and say that she's committed to us to usc and i'm like nah Lindsay, like i don't believe until i see it like i have to see it like i i, I don't believe it until she says these words and sure enough you know we stopped our shoot around we watched it on the computer screen and she committed and we we were super excited and i always talk about how good of a basketball player she is but she's even a better person She is a phenomenal young person so um, we're thankful to have her as a, as a baller as an academic student and as a person in our program
1: I was there at Sierra Canyon when she committed. It took a little longer because SportsCenter, there were some issues, and then yeah. Woe's tweeted it out, and then she announced that was really cool to see. Coach, talking about Juju on the floor, we all saw the ridiculous shot that she hit in the Bahamas. What stands out about her game the most, and what's the most ridiculous thing that she's done so far?
2: I think what stands out the most is her, her competitive spirit, her competitive greatness. She's unafraid um, to be able to elevate her program to number six in the country and have only been playing basketball or playing collegiate basketball now for what, two and a half weeks is insane. She's able to rise in the the, the hardest moments. She's able to face any defense and she's, she's seen them all in the first six games, boxing one, double teams, traps, and she's able to, to navigate that. I think that her biggest moments thus far, you can look at it both ways. She went on national TV and dropped 30 on a top 10 team and made it look pretty efficient. And then you look at, Penn State, where we're down, I think six points with a minute and a half left. And she goes on a seven-o-run by herself to win the game. I think that she finds two way, she finds ways to impact winning and bring people along with her.
0: Yeah, she's uh she's definitely impressing so far. Um, you know, she's already set a couple records. Uh now some of those are freshman records, but set a couple records already in her first two and a half weeks, like yep. you mentioned. So bright future there. So then that lends us to the question of how good can this year's team be?
2: yeah you know that that is a good question and i I still don't know, man to be honest like i I feel like we are exactly where we we want to be, but not necessarily where we need to be. We know that November basketball is not March basketball. There's a lot of areas in which we need to improve. We need to take care of the ball more um uh, we we need to make sure that we rebound our out rebound our opponents uh more. We have to get our defensive scheme sharper. um i do I will say that this team in comparison to the teams that we had in the first two years here, we share the ball better and we shoot the ball much better. And I think we have different skill sets amongst the positions that we have on the floor. You look at Rhea Marshall. Rhea can get you a double-double any any night. Uh, against Penn State, she was able to shoot from the perimeter and really stretch the defense. She blocked shots. She could switch, you know, onto multiple positions. You look at Mackenzie Forbes who joined us on the fold. She could play the three. She could play the four. Sometimes we put up the point. So the versatility has been key for us. So we have to just stay healthy, stay strong, and really just get sharp on our schemes. But, We have a chance to compete, man. Obviously, you two know that the Pac-12 Women's Basketball Conference is insane. I think we have like four teams in the top 10 and like half our our conference is in the top 25. So every night is going to be a matchup and we're going to be gunning for each other.
1: I know it's only been six games, but coach, has there been any surprise about the team that maybe you didn't know heading into the season so far?
2: Uh, Surprise, you know, the, the surprise is that we're able to take these young women, whether they be freshmen playing their first games or transfers who are playing the first time with us and be able to form a unit that has beaten teams that's been together. Ohio State has a team that's pretty much all returning besides Taylor Meisle. And, you know, you look at Penn State, who's had multiple people in their jerseys for multiple years and we're able to be a team that's only been together for, you know, five, six months and beat teams that's been together for a few years. So uh, I really like the cohesiveness of this group.
0: It's been interesting, you know. You talk about bringing those pieces together. Um, there's been a piece that's been on the bench for you guys since last year that hasn't been able to play, Aaliyah Gales, you know. But has been is a rallying point for the team. You can see how everyone, you know, just is, is so connected and wants her to have so much success. There was a great scene in the in the game Tuesday night. The entire bench explodes when she makes a, you know her first three pointer uh, of of her uh, collegiate career. Just kind of the latest high point in her comeback story. What's been the most significant moment in that comeback story for you, for Leah Gales?
2: Man, I I got really emotional last night. And I don't know if it's because she she made her first bucket or is it because every time I see this kid in a jersey and to understand that like two, you know, a year and a half ago, this, might not have been a possibility. I think, you know, some of the, the most important things are the commitment Lindsey Gottlieb made to this kid. You know, like she visited this kid and said, I'm going to honor your scholarship regardless of what happens. I will get you to college. I'll make sure you're successful. So her being tied in with Aaliyah step by step, being a being an assistant coach, that's what you want from your boss. You want somebody that puts it on the line for their players and honors those players. And I have a lot of respect for Lindsay being there side by side and seeing actually, you know, Aaliyah trying to walk again to now running and playing on a, a court, man, it's, it's a lot of emotion. So I, she's been practicing very well and she had the opportunity last night. I think our team just understands like she's so much a staple of who we are, you know, resilient, faithful, hardworking, um, a joy. She has energy and enthusiasm every single day and to see her get rewarded with just one bucket is, um, It's something I'll never forget, but we know there's much more for her in store as well. So I don't think that is what she wants for herself. She wants to be a contributor and help us, you know, raise our program to a championship level. And that's what we expect of her moving forward.
1: Such an incredible comeback story. The fact that she was able to play and hit the first shot, that was so awesome to watch last night. What needs to happen now for her to become a contributor? Is it still just monitoring what the doctors say and working hard? Just take me through what the next few weeks and months look like for her.
2: Yeah, man. Like, like obviously, um, it's hard to project out. But you guys, you guys have been around a lot of you know, uh, people coming off of any injury. You know, it takes time and repetition. Uh, and like we all, we often forget that she's still a freshman. This is only like her second game minutes. You know, second game <laughs> played. So she just needs time. And I think that over the time, the course of time, she'll develop all the things that made her super special. She'll get her muscle memory back. She'll get her, her skill set uh, very sharp. She'll be able to knock down those shots. So for me, watching her practice every day, you could see her getting better each week. And I think that is going to help her be the player she wants to be by the time we hit the spring.
0: Yeah, she's a former top 10 player in the country. Uh, you add in the number one player in Juju Watkins. Third year in a row, uh, you add a top 10 player with this number one recruiting class you guys got coming in with Aaliyah, with Juju, what is the potential for that group? What stands out to you first, I guess, about the, the recruiting class you guys coming in, that you have coming in, sign five players, uh, potential of a sixth reclassifying mm-hmm. as well. Um, but, you know, that group that does a little bit of everything. We talked with Lindsay about it a couple of weeks ago and just talked about the versatility of the group. What stands out to you about that, that recruiting class?
2: Yeah, so I think – there's multiple things I stand out about the recruiting class. They are the first class that believed in our vision fully. You know what I mean? Obviously we we got Juju and we got Malia in this class, but this class was, you know, two years behind when we first got here. We didn't we didn't have anything. We didn't have any wins. We didn't have any significant moments. And they were, they stayed on the phone with us and got to see us build our, our program organically. So I think that's the, the one of the first things that I acknowledge about this class that they want to be at SC. And I think that's important. When you when you recruit kids, you want people who want to be in these jerseys that want to make moments here. Um, and then the skill set is so varied in this group. You know, you look at somebody that could shoot it very, very well, like Ryan. Ryan could, is a six-one, and she could shoot the lights out of that thing with, you know, size. You got Avery's toughness who can shoot and dribble and pass as well. Then you bring it to, the, like, you know, the wing area, and you look at Kenny Smith, or the best player in California, and the skill set she has, she can guard one through five. She could play, you know, two through four. She is a winner. She's one of the best winners in recent California State history, you know. So um, we bring winning in this class. We bring competitiveness that is um, – unparalleled to some classes I've had before and we have skills that are going to complement all the players that we have in our jersey now.
1: Dale I'm curious how did you first get connected with Lindsey Gottlieb and what has she taught you about coaching that you've really kept with you?
2: My girl G man um shout out to Lindsey man that's 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 my dog um so I when I was a video coordinator at the school across the street um we used to you know go up to Cal and have some battles like those UC battles used to really be uh, really be fun. But her her group always had a certain um like level of swagger, charisma, like confidence, joy. And I always admired that. And I remember somebody asking me if you could ever take an assistant job, where would you want to work? And I said, Cal right away. Cause I knew I wanted to be a part of that culture. And uh, I got my first job at Vanderbilt. And unfortunately we were let go, you know, eight months after I took the job. And I called a colleague and I said, Hey, can you reach out to Lindsay? And I was like, sure. And then just by the timing of it, she was losing assistant at that time. She flew me out for an interview. We did that. And one thing I remember, she said, I don't want you interviewing with me. I want you to interview with my players Cause that's where you're going to coach. So I spent so much time with the players on the interview. And I thought that was a different approach. And when I came up from the locker room, the players were like, yeah, Lindsay, I think we need to hire this guy. <laughs> so she offered me a job, you know, by the time I grabbed my bags and I, you know, I moved next week and I started joining her, but she exemplifies so many different things. I think she is a forward thinker, you know, before NIL, before the landscape of social media has, has, that impacted women's basketball. As we know, she was already thinking of these type of ideas and models to shape student athletes. Um, she is a player's coach. Her, her door is always open. Her phone's always, you know, on. She's willing to meet you where, wherever you're at. Like, and it can, it can be as much as flying out to go see, you know, Leah when, when all that went down to, being in here with her baby, sitting on the couch with one of our players, she she is a, a great mom, a great wife, a great coach. And uh, I'm super thankful that she gave me the opportunity to come to SC and be a part of what we're trying to build.
0: Yeah, we'll let you get, get out of here after this one. But you know, I think there's some interesting, you know, the connection of her going to the NBA and coaching a men's team, you being a male coaching a women's team. Is that something you know? Co- coaching with her before and then after, what kind of differences do you see, and what uh, what kind of conversations do you guys have about coaching the opposite sex?
2: Yeah, when you when you like one thing that Lindsay says, I really like about you know whether she's in the NBA and she's talking to Kevin Love or you know Darius Garland or I'm, I'm in the gym and I'm talking to Ray or Juju. She says, Hoopers love hoop. You know, <laughs> basketball is basketball. Real Hoopers love hoop, and that is the universal language. Good basketball is universal. And once I kind of understood that, she's like, Deli doesn't matter if you go to WNBA, NBA, if they trust your knowledge of the game, they will listen to you. And I thought that was super powerful. So no matter what arena I enter in, whether I'm coaching a male or female, I just know I have to be knowledgeable and they'll listen. And I, but the thing that she's brought back from the league that's ha- helped impact our program is just like our style of play. It's more free. It's more open. We're using pro concepts, you know, drags, double drags, spacing, getting people to the corner. And I think that's helped improve our, our team and our scoring ability this year. Well, we're looking forward
0: to seeing how it continues to progress throughout the season. We look forward to having you on the show again later in the season as well, Dale. Thanks for taking the time to join us on the USC Triple Double Podcast.
2: Hey, guys, man. Have a good day, man. It was, it's Tuesday today? Or it as it Wednesday. Tuesday was last night. I was say <laughs> grab a taco, but it's Wednesday. So have a good night, man. And I'll talk to you guys later, right? With that, we'll jump into our break,
0: and then Connor and I will return to take a little bit deeper look at the last week of action for the USC men and women. We'll also take a look forward at the upcoming matchups for the next week. Welcome back from the break. Make sure to check out our sponsors. Also, please like, subscribe, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. Also, if you have any questions, comments, requests, you can send them in to podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put triple-double or the basketball pod in the headline to make sure that it gets directed to us. We haven't got any of those yet, as far as I know. So, you know, we're, we're looking forward to those. We want to answer your questions. We want to take those as well. We'll have a Q&A episode a little bit down the line, but not just yet. But before we jump into our weekly breakdown, Connor, what stood out to you from our interview with Wendell Farrow?
1: What a great guy. So energetic. Just first of all, I know the women's team, they're going to face some adversity, and they did against Penn State, overcame that, but they're going to lose a game eventually. Just the good vibes with the program right now, being undefeated, being ranked in the top five, or top six, excuse me, not top five yet, Um, and, and just the the vibes and the happiness and just things are really going in the right direction with that team. And Dale really echoed that. And it was just really exciting to, to, I hadn't met him before. So it was really exciting to chat with him and just the good vibes of the program really resonated with me and makes me want to watch more of these teams games. They're really fun. Yeah. A
0: ton of energy, like you said uh, from Dale, I thought it was really interesting that, he kind of sought out Lindsey Gottlieb and, you know, to try to get that job as someone that he had admired from afar in the conference, you know, working at UCLA or the school across the way, I think is how I put it. Um, but I thought that was interesting. And then also him talking about, uh, you know, Juju Watkins, you know, it's always interesting to hear what everyone has to say about the the stars, but the fact that the, it wasn't just getting, it wasn't recruiting just her wasn't just recruiting her family. It was recruiting Los Angeles. And I thought that was really interesting. And him talking about how, you know, her name was already being mentioned in the barbershops and stuff uh, when they came in. And that was a couple of years before she was graduating. So uh, I thought that was really interesting as well. She's special. You know, we we keep saying it uh, and she keeps proving it. And, you know, let's look back at the last week where she proved it once again, starting with you know, before our our last uh, episode, we had recorded before USC women had finished their trip in the Bahamas. They finished that trip with a seventy-one to seventy win over Penn State. Uh, could be a quality win down the line, uh, a, a win against a future Big Ten opponent in in Penn State, and a game that USC nearly gave away. You know, they had a lead going into the fourth quarter. They give up that lead. They're down by six with what a couple minutes left. And then they play terrific defense down the stretch and they put the ball in Juju's hands and she takes over. I mean, I kind of, I don't know if you were watching that one live, but man, that she <laughs> watching her and you're just like, is she really going to do this? Is she really going to do this again? Um, and, you know, the step through and everything else to, to get the game winning bucket too. Incredible performance, the personal 7-0 run to win the game. That's,
1: what superstars do. And we talk so much about her on this podcast, but she keeps giving us stuff that makes us say, okay, she is as advertised. She's so talented. And I just keep going back to this shotgun. Kids in her situation are consistently put on this pedestal and it's so hard to consistently perform at the highest level. And she's just so good. She makes it look easy out there. So that certainly was, in my opinion, her best performance of the year. Just when, USC was down because they had to come back in that game prior to ending on the seven, nothing run, Penn State had gone on a 14, nothing run. So the Ohio state game was great for the women. And there've been some other really good games too, but having to come back, we hadn't really seen that yet. And it's exactly what you said. Give the ball to Juju Watkins, not really get out of the way, but let her do what she does and good things are going to happen. We saw that again.
0: Yeah. She hits a layup uh, with about two minutes left and then immediately as uh, the, I don't know if they got a steal or a long rebound and, she takes the ball up the court and just pulls up a three. Like it was like a 15 second window between, you know, her getting five points after this long, super long stretch. USC hadn't scored at all. And Penn state has taken over the game. And suddenly it's like, Oh wait, USC's right back in this. They're down by one. And then they get another stop and she gets an opportunity, uh, you know, with about 30 seconds left and, you know, cuts through the defense, step through, move, just a beautiful play. And then USC is able to hold on, you know, they threw the ball away late, made it really testy there. But I think, you know, to win those type of games, when you you don't play your best down the stretch, but your superstar helps you do that. I think that's one of those can be a big time rally point to build on. And then they come back home and, and USC's women, they, they started a stretch. Uh, I think it was, was nine games that they have in the Los Angeles area playing Cal Poly. And just destroy them. They do what you're supposed to do. They come out immediately. I mean, I, I I had it, I added it to Ahmad's rapid recap, but I can't remember what the stretches were. But there was like a 14-3 run, like four times in the game. Like they just kept making run after run after run. Uh, they finished with four players in double figures, led by Juju Watkins, another 30-point performance. And what's most impressive to me about these 30-point performances, this is her fourth one in six games. So she's just set a new school record. For freshman uh 30-point games, and she's two and a half weeks into her career. But is that every one of them? Like this one was she shot 10 of 19. The one against Penn State, I think she had, what 31 in that one, and she was nine of 20. So that was I think that was the first one where she was under 50% shooting. So when she gets going, she gets going and does it efficiently. That's the most impressive part. It's not like she's putting up 25 shots to get her 30 points. She's doing it on somewhere between 15 and 20 each game. So that, that's that been really impressive. So they took care of business in that one and uh, just wiped, wiped Cal Poly off the floor. And you could see the big time difference in athleticism and size early in that one. USC wins that one 85 to 44.
1: Absolutely. Efficiency. That's the key word with Juju Watkins. Cause you see a lot of talented players, whether it's the NBA in college, the talent is obvious, but they can't score as efficiently as, as Juju can. And that's, really what puts her over the top because we've seen it and it happens at every level, even Boogie Ellis, for example, like I think against Oklahoma, you're going to have games where you're, you're just not on like usual. I think he was six of 16 and we haven't really seen Juju have too many games like that. If she's taking a lot of shots, a lot of them are going in and that just speaks to her being so talented, but just her being better than I think people thought. And and what I mean by that is like I kind of feel like she could play in the WNBA right now and have a role. And I don't want to diminish the the women's game, but you know what I mean? She's just so far advanced beyond her age. And I think the efficiency that really shows when consistently she's getting, you know, 10 to 16 from the floor and just the field goal percentage is high. We'll get into all of it. But uh, that really jumps out to me.
0: Yeah. Every year there's a number one player in the nation but not every year is that a generational player. And Juju is making the case already that she could be a generational player. She could be a future face of the WNBA. Now, that's a lot of a lot to put on her 6 games into her career, but she's at least showing those flashes, that potential. And the fact that she's done it against some quality teams, but then also just takes care of business against the lesser teams, you know, it's, it's a consistency thing there. I think that's one of the things that's impressive too. Let's go ahead and jump into our triple-double for the women's side um, since we're talking about them. So what what did you have on your, your triple? What were the three positives that you have? And then we'll, we'll then take our two negatives, the, the double portion. What were, What's your triple? What did you have coming away from this week of action for the women? We talked about her so much, so I won't spend too much time. But Juju was my first one just
1: – the fact that she was able to single-handedly come back against Penn State, lead that seven, nothing run, uh, score all the points. That really was impressive to me. And she's the first positive. I feel like she will be every week shotgun. The second one, you got to go to Aliyah Gales, what she's been through to come back and hit her first career shot attempt in a game against Cal Poly. That was incredible. And you just saw the bench erupt. Incredible, incredible moment for USC in a non-conference game that wasn't very close. That was awesome. And then, Kayla Padilla, she's been on the down list a couple times so far this year. I thought against Penn State, she was awesome. She played her role perfectly, played the whole game, all 40 minutes. She only had one turnover, three or four from deep. I really liked what I saw. She just knows her role on this team, and it seems like she's playing it really, really effectively. She knows she's not the go-to score, and she doesn't try to do too much. I like that she's settling in, and she really showed me that she is settling in against Penn State.
0: Honestly, I think she's still finding her role. I feel like she's starting to see, okay, this is what I need to do. And it's kind of – that. I think she's in that transition period a little bit, more so than like this solidified. So I think she's going to get better, actually. And I think we're seeing those signs, though. You mentioned the Penn State game where she hits three threes. She doesn't shoot great against Cal Poly, but six assists, no turnovers. That really stood out to me as well. You know, only scored three points in the game, but it was Cal Poly. You were up by, you know – 15, like it felt like immediately. So you didn't need a score; Just be a facilitator and do that. And if she can do that, when you got Juju, when you got Rhea, when you got Taylor Bigby coming in off the bench uh, and McKenzie Forbes, you know, when Caitlin Davis is healthy, then I think she doesn't have to be that score. And then if she, the, a team goes to zone, That's when she needs to step up and hey knock down those threes and do that. So uh, you know I thought that one, uh, I think that one can be one that continues to get better as the season goes along. Uh, My triple double and we may have to take Juju off this and we're gonna we're gonna have a special segment, uh, you know, a new segment we're doing that. You know maybe we eliminate Juju and Isaiah Collier unless we we nitpick a little bit more because we can put them on the triple double. It feels like every week. My triple though I had killer instinct against Cal Poly. Uh, not only just the the score and you know continuing to separate, but thirty one to two advantage on points off of turnovers. That is a number I don't think I've ever seen in a game. That was impressive. I think they had twenty five turnovers and they made the most of it. Really attacked on that. Uh, Leah Gail's the three pointer, as you mentioned. I thought the reaction you, you touched on it, but was fantastic. Shows you how close this team is and shows you what she means to this team. So just con- to to see her continue to hit milestones is is She's going to make our triple-double every time she hits a new milestone, I feel like. Uh, so that was great. And then return of Kayla Williams. Now, Kayla Williams started every game for USC last year at one of the starting guard spots. Uh, can play the point, was kind of a shooting guard at UC Irvine, where she transferred from. She was a big-time shooter, and she struggled last year, but was still in the starting lineup because of her defense. So getting her back adds another potential shooter and then also someone who's going to D up and just going to be locked down. Uh, you know she She's someone who can pick up you know, 92 feet from the basket and, and go, uh, you know, and attack someone and wear them down. So she's another element that you can add to this team. So those was, are was my triples. Getting her back, I think, it is really key to just adding to the depth of this team. How about on the double side, what were two negatives you had this week from the women? It's nitpicking when the team's undefeated and playing as well as they are, but just the one
1: steal against Penn State, to me that makes me think they can be a little bit more aggressive defensively. Cal Poly just wasn't on the same playing as USC women's basketball. So I didn't really take away the defensive numbers. Like there just wasn't as much to take away in my opinion from that game because it was just such a lopsided uh, situation, but against Penn state, you could take more away from that. So one steal, I would like to see a little bit more aggression. And here's me putting my talk radio hat on turning a positive into a negative. So Juju is awesome. As we talked about, she goes on that personal seven Oh run to end the game against Penn state. I'm wondering when, Teams have a long time to prepare for USC if it's like a first-round NCAA tournament matchup and the Trojans are going back and forth with a really good opponent, and that opponent game plans for Juju double-teams or takes her out of a game, which Penn State tried to do, but I think they could have done a better job with it. Who else is going to step up? It's great that Juju won the game personally on that 7 nothing run, but I'm sure Lindsey Gottlieb wants someone else to help in that situation. And again, that's a huge nitpick. They won the game. Juju was awesome. I just wonder, is someone else, is it Raya Marshall? Is, is it one of the guards? Is someone else capable of just getting a bucket so it's not all Juju at the end of a close game like that?
0: Yeah, and in that game, Raya Marshall did have 11 points, 10 rebounds, but she was the only other person in double figures. So yeah, you need that, the extra scoring if you know teams are going to try to attack her with different defenses, which Penn State did, which I think is great for the women of Troy to get those looks. You know, what What are teams going to throw at you in the non-conference? Because, you know, once you get to conference play, everyone's really going to study up on you every single week and you'll see some different things. And that's where, you know, they're not going to go undefeated. That's where you're going to see a loss where someone she doesn't shoot well or the other players around her don't shoot well and a team. You know, a, his entire game plan is to take her out of it. Um, so we'll see how they react when that happens. Um, I, my double, I had Caitlin Davis has missed the last two games. Um, you know, so that's pushed Taylor Bigby up into the starting lineup. So less firepower kind of coming off the bench in that regard. Cause Taylor Bigby is someone who can come in and, you know, if you have a true second unit, she can be the leader as far as, you know, the go-to, um, Dominique Onu has done a little bit there. Uh, Malia Samuels has done a little bit, but you know, who's going to be someone to take that shot if Juju comes out of the game you know, when they go to the second. So then you get Caitlin Davis back. She adds, again, depth and size and strength as well, uh, defense. So getting her back will help as, you know, they continue going forward. And then that Penn State game, as we've already talked about it, but they gave a 14-0 run when they were controlling the game going into that fourth quarter um, and even started the fourth quarter out uh, strong, if I remember correctly. I think they, you know, they were up. Uh, what was it, five going into the fourth quarter, and they stretched it out to eight points after a couple of minutes, and then that's when they gave them a 14-0 run. So they've had some stretches where they have these long, you know, long, you know, droughts where they don't score. Usually it's two and a half, three minutes, and then Juju will find a way to score. But what happens when Juju goes out of a game? She went out of the Cal Poly game, and they did not play very well. Cal Poly is not a good team. I think. And Cal Poly, I think, was – a plus at the at the time when Juju was out, she banged heads. It looked like she had a bloody nose. Comes back in again, showing the toughness of her as well. Uh, but what are they going to do when she's in foul trouble or whatever it is? If she rolls an ankle, can they recover from that? I know it's difficult any time your star player goes down, but the minutes they're on the bench or if they're out for whatever reason, someone has to step up, and they haven't necessarily done a great job of that. Did pretty good against Ohio State, I thought. You know, the moment she was out. But they still gave up that lead in the third quarter, too. And when she finally came back in, that's when things turned. So is it just going to be the juju show or can they be a, a complete team? They've got the depth to be able to do that and to you know fill the gaps when she's out. But they got to prove it a little bit more.
1: Yeah, that's the big question this season. And we've talked so much about the recruiting class that the women have. Next year, it's going to be a totally different situation. But this year, depth concerns, I think, are going to be there all year.
0: Over to the men's side. The last week, the men have had, have played three games since the last time, or last time we recorded. Uh, they beat Seton Hall in San Diego, seventy-one to sixty-three, a quality win there to to get that one. Then they have Oklahoma in the quote-unquote championship. When it's only four teams, they shouldn't call these things championships. It's just quick quick soapbox. Uh, you know, it's just a, a maybe you can call it title game. There's no championship when you only play two games. Uh, but they played Oklahoma a game easily winnable game uh they lose 72 to 70 back and forth really good game actually uh, down there but you know some common issues that we've seen come up in that one and uh they lose that one on a put back bucket by Oklahoma in the last seconds after you know they had a couple chances to take the lead didn't do that but they were able to get a to tie the game DJ Robbin gets fouled and rebound makes both of his free throws but then they give up the game winning bucket on an offensive putback, So that was pretty disappointing. Wait for that one to end. But they bounce back. Could have been a trap game against Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington is much better than the record is. Uh they're they're basically playing a bunch of buy games right now to make some money for the program. They'll be pretty good. And I think the big skies, the conference they're in, they'll they'll have a chance to compete for that one. But USC just wiped them off the floor. And that was a positive to see, you know, them bouncing back and doing that after losing at Oklahoma. But they went 106-78. to 78. Uh, They were up by 30 for a good portion of the the um, second half and put up 106 points, which is the most points since 2000. Connor, someone tweeted to me that only one player on USC's team was born Josh Morgan, the last time USC scored as many points as they did uh, on Wednesday against Eastern Washington. Wow, and I was only five years old back then. <laughs> well, let's let's see what do you want to. What stood out to you from this week's action? What did you have in your triple double for this week? Sure, just going big picture. Kobe Johnson has taken
1: that next step, and he just continues to impress me. I feel like USC is so much better. When he's on the court, he picked up two quick fouls against Oklahoma, so he had to sit for a lot of that first half, and that was a problem. He just needs to be cognizant of that because USC is such a better team when he's in there. He shot over 50% the last two games for the Trojans. He had three steals in both those games, Eastern Washington and Oklahoma. Career-high seven assists against Eastern Washington. I just feel so much better about them when – He's on the floor. And Boogie Ellis, I think, has the highest offensive ceiling, of course. He's the best scorer on this team. But Kobe Johnson, in my opinion, is the most complete player. And through these first however many games it's been for USA, I think seven, he's been awesome. And uh, he hasn't been there for all of them, though. He picked up an injury. But he's just someone who who I find myself enjoying watching week in and week out. Uh, I thought the bigs played well against Eastern Washington. Vince Uchukwu is especially coming on. Vince Kajani Wright, Josh Morgan combined for 32 points against Eastern Washington. They just outman the Eagles in that game. I still have some questions about the bigs, which we'll get to in the negatives. But Vince, anytime you can say he's playing well is a is a big positive. And I think against Oklahoma, he had some nice moments, even though he had one mistake late in that game. But he bounced back, got in an one bucket. The talent is there. He just needs the reps. So him continuing to look really good has been huge for the program these last couple games. And then my last one, Isaiah Collier, he's shooting over. 40% from three. One of the questions with him was, we know he's fantastic at getting to the rim, but can that three-point shot, is that going to translate to the college game? He's sort of up and down as a high school player through these first few games for USC, over 40%. I know a lot of NBA scouts are loving that because if you can shoot in college, you can probably shoot at the next level. And him being able to do that, He's been better than advertised in that regard. There are some other things he needs to work on, which we'll get to, but the 40% from over 40% from three for Isaiah Collier, I think that's huge. And then just one other thing Boogie shooting the lights out against Eastern Washington. Man, oh man, was that an impressive performance, making a career high eight threes. He was eight and nine at one point. That was nasty.
0: Yeah, he was really good in that game. I just thought against Cal Poly now, or not Cal Poly, excuse me, Eastern Washington, I, I thought that it was just much better energy and effort from the entire team, especially the guy, the reserves coming in, the bigs were flying around, Um, you know, defensively. I thought the energy and effort was there a little bit slacked off in you know, the final 10 minutes or so when you're up by 30, but that was, was needed. And that's something that needs to carry forward. Because that's that's how you rebound the ball better. That's how you you know you play defense and you know make impacts and don't give up offensive rebounds and second and third chances like they have been giving throughout the season. So the effort and energy I thought was really good in that game. Um, let's go back to the Seton Hall game. I didn't even mention it, but Joshua Morgan ten blocks to set a record. Uh, the school record was. Uh, it was nine coming out? I believe, or it was eight. No, it was eight, and he had had seven multiple times in his career, both at Long Beach State and at USC. So he passes that and then adds an extra one, uh, just swatting everything. He was he was terrific in that game. Um, and the bigs are starting to come along. So Vince is getting stronger, as you mentioned, but also Kajani Wright making an impact against Eastern Washington, doubled his career high. He had 12 points in that game. Vince had, a dou- had double figures. Both of those guys were really good coming off the bench. They played really well together, actually, passing the ball to each other and different things. So that's a big area of concern for this team. So to see their three primary bigs, Joshua Morgan, Kajani Wright, and Vince Wichuku all have positives in the last week, uh, week plus, then that I think that's a really big thing for them. They get Arrington Page, they get his athleticism, get him doing a little bit more. I think that even adds to it. But I went all big men, you know. I thought the energy from the big men. Vince getting stronger, Kajani making the impact in that, the Eastern Washington game and the Josh Morgan's blocks. Uh, so I got all, all big men in my triples. I love it.
1: Yeah, I think right now with Vince, like I said, the reps, if he can continue to just play, that's going to be huge. I just need to see shotgun what it looks like against better opponents. And the Pac-12, sure. I think, looks a lot better than it did a year ago right now. I think the only team that is way worse that was a tournament team is Arizona State. Everyone else is just as good or maybe even better. And I think Stanford's better. So the tests are coming for this group, Gonzaga Saturday. But yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, you know, they did it against a bad team. That doesn't mean anything. Of course, that means something, especially for Vince, who hasn't played that much lately. And Josh, 10 blocks, he put on a clinic in that game against Seton Hall. That was exceptional. I just would like to see more complete performances against better teams. And that's the beauty of watching sports. USC is going to get these opportunities. So I'm looking forward to that.
0: But let's go over to the negative. I'll start, actually, because this is also the bigs. You can't give up an put, offensive putback on a rebound. Now, DJ Rodman is a, a swing guy. You know, as a guard forward, he's a wing. But that's all just that's all just fundamentals. You know, finding your guy and blocking him out and letting him go by. Now, he did a great job blocking out the previous possession and got fouled. And that shows you the variance in focusing on your fundamentals versus letting them slide and winning a game versus losing a game. And, you know, in that game, Oklahoma dominated in the paint in the second half. So that's on the bigs as well. Uh, Part of it is, you know, their guards were getting in in the lane, but the bigs really were able to to get what they wanted. And a big part of that was Josh Morgan wasn't able to just play rim protector because Oklahoma had the big big guy. I'm blanking on his name off the top of my head, but there was knocking down, knocked down four threes, I think it was, and that was pulling Josh Morgan out of the middle of the paint. And USC's defense has often been – all right, we're going to run you off the three-point line and funnel you into Josh Morgan and we'll take our chances. That he'll block your shot or at least affect it enough that you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to make it. But the problem with that is one, if there's a matchup deficiency, like there was in this Oklahoma game where, you know, someone can't drag him out. But two, every time he has to step up, that opens up the backside rebound. And that's something that's killed USC over and over. So, you would like to see the guards play a little bit better on the wing um, where you don't overplay the three point all the time and keep some guys in front of you. And that's something that, you know, they're, they harp on Boogie Ellis and Isaiah Collier and those guys because you know Kobe Johnson's going to guard guys, but the other guys, you know, is, is all right. We need you to play a little bit more defense. We need you to play a little bit more defense. You play a little bit more defense, we'll be better if you play a little bit more defense. So uh, those guys are terrific on offense, but they got to do a little bit more on defense at all times they're trying to do. And then because of that, they lost a winnable game. That could have been, it could be a resume booster down the stretch. Um, So you've seen USC early, some of these preseason and, uh, you know, first couple game prognostications on a bracket. USC is a three or four or five seed. I saw one today. They were 10 seed. So, you know, that's how quickly things can turn there. And games like the Oklahoma game, U.C. Irvine game, you share like you get one mulligan. Basically, is how I look at it. You get one mulligan, but then you got to win everything else that you are capable of winning. And they were perfectly capable of winning that Oklahoma game. They didn't do it. So those are my two negatives for this week. Yeah, I agree with everything you
1: said there. The Oklahoma ending was my top negative, and that just was part of a bigger problem, in my opinion. A lot of lapses in concentration recently. We saw Isaiah Collier have that turnover when USC was down a couple points at the end of that game that was the second chance that they had to either tie or take the lead and he had been out of the game for I think like a four minute stretch because he was having issues with turnovers and the Enfield puts him back in and then right away he turns the ball over again you don't want to rip a kid too much who's so talented and giving too much and giving so much to the USC program but that was a pretty big mistake and then Sequence later, DJ Rodman doesn't box out. So just in these critical situations, we're seeing some lapses in concentration, which you just hope as time goes on, more reps that'll be fixed. The turnovers for Collier are a huge problem. And so I I just mentioned the lapses in concentration and and mentioning the Collier turnover there, just to say they're 176th and assist to turnover ratio so far this season that needs to be improved. And then the rebounding is my other uh, negative right now. If I was a betting man and I put a lot of money on A USC big to either score with a game on the line or grab a rebound with a game on the line. Of course, so much comes down to positioning and stuff like that. But the money on the table, I don't know if I trust these guys right now, and I want to see a little bit more from them, like I said earlier. So that's uh, those are my two negative shotguns. I don't know how you feel about those, but there you have it.
0: Yeah, You mentioned Isaiah Carr, you're not playing during that stretch. I thought that was an interesting move by Andy Enfield. Hey, you're not playing well. I don't care if you're the number one player. We're going to sit you. How did he respond to that? I thought he responded really well in the in the Eastern Washington game. I again I said the team bounced back really well as a whole, but starts with him. He had 6 turn I mean 6 assists in the game, only 2 turnovers. Season low 2 turnovers and both of those were offensive fouls. So actually if we go back and look at his turnovers, the numbers aren't as bad I think as or we've said this, but the numbers aren't as bad. The numbers look worse than it actually is. Um and if you take some if you take the offensive fouls out, he's gotten a hefty amount of those already, and those are learning experiences. They are turnover, yes, but we're more concerned about the decision-making, You know, throwing the ball away when you have a point guard, and he's a bull, so he's going to pick up some offensive fouls in that regard. So he's going to have – he might have an offensive foul a game. I can live with that, but if you're not throwing the ball away, I'm perfectly satisfied with that because he's going to get five or six assists you know, pretty much every game. So especially if people make shots. So I, I thought the way he bounced back and to have six assists and no throwaways we'll say in that, in the, no giveaways in the Eastern Washington game was a positive for him, even though I, I mean, he only scored, what, 13 points or something, uh, 15 points, 13 of them coming in the second half. Didn't, you know, didn't try to attack too much in the first half, was a facilitator, and I thought he looked really good in that game, uh, even though it was season low of minutes for him. Only 23 minutes, but still scored 15 points, six assists, uh, so I thought that was a really, really strong bounce back after he, you know, pretty much got benched down the stretch uh, of that Oklahoma game.
1: Yeah, and he's just a really mature kid. That's something that stuck Mm. out to me. They've put him front and center in front of the media, which that kind of comes with the territory when you're the number one player in the country. But right away, he talked after Kansas State. He's talked after a lot of these games, and he just strikes me as someone who wants to get better, who understands how this works, and he knows – He's headed to the NBA, but he's not cocky about it. And he knows the coaching staff knows a little bit more than him right now. And he's so talented, but he's still adapting to college basketball. And I think he's taking it all in stride. If against Eastern Washington he continued to make these mistakes and he's pouting, then you maybe read into that a little bit. But he had a couple of defensive lapses and concentration against Eastern Washington and Andy Enfield pulled him. And then on the bench, it's not like sitting by himself, rolling his eyes. He's talking to Chris Capco and they're breaking down what they want to see him do defensively. He's really, in my opinion, taking this year as a year to get him ready for the NBA, which most five-star players are doing. But I I think to him, it's not like a situation where he's like, okay, I know I'm going to the NBA. If I'm doing stuff wrong, so what? I'll I'll be fine in the long run. He's working on his game and he's making a big concentrated effort to, hey, if if I'm not doing this well at the next level, I, I know I'm going to be challenged even more so I just got to work on everything I can his mindset is really awesome
0: yeah and you can tell that from what was the biggest concern coming in his shooting and shooting has been really good so far so I think that you know he takes the criticism and then goes and tries to fix things so uh so that actually lends us into we got a new segment this week we're evolving we evolve just like Isaiah Collier's game baby we're evolving here we got the new segment called the juice juicy juicy the juice segment because Ju Juju Watkins, is phenomenal. Isaiah Collier, Zay, phenomenal. And every week I keep hearing things or something just catch my eye that wouldn't necessarily expect to hear or see. And so I want to start a segment where something where just kind of out of the blue, whether it be some ridiculous stat they do, some ridiculous play, or just someone talking about them or something happens where their name comes up And I'm going to start with, I was watching one of the uh, Maui Invitational games, you know, during Feast Week, early in the week, not even a championship game, and it was a game before Gonzaga played. And they're just, you know, they're doing the the mid-game, you know, pitch for the next game, you know, letting you know, oh, Gonzaga plays so-and-so next game. Isaiah Collier's name comes up out of the blue. Because they're like, oh, oh yeah, I'm excited to see Gonzaga. I've got their game. And it was someone in the, the the halftime studio. They're like, I'm calling their game in a couple weeks against USC. Have you seen Isaiah Collier? He's must watch. And I was just like, whoa, USC getting some love in the middle of a Maui Invitational game where they are not involved at all. It wasn't the UCLA game, if I remember correctly. So you know, they're just out of the blue love for Isaiah Collier. I thought that was really interesting. You know, for him to stand out. I don't know about you, Connor, anything that's caught your eye or ear this week or since our last show uh, from, you know, Isaiah Collier or Juju Watkins?
1: Well, just to respond to you, when you recruit at the level that USC men's basketball has recently, even all the way back to Evan Mobley, you're going to get talked about like that. So that's awesome to see. It's relatively new territory for USC still. They haven't always recruited as well as they're doing right now. So that is really awesome to see. We're still used to the football side. Caleb Williams, what is he going to do? And he's a big topic of conversation on other teams' games. But now you're getting that on the basketball side. One thing with Juju Watkins, and we've talked so much about her shotgun, but just something that stood out to me. So against Cal Poly, she hits her head and gets that bloody nose. And I think some star players in some instances where they're going up against an inferior opponent, they don't really need the star player. A lot of people I think would sit out the rest of that game to say, Hey, I got a bloody nose. I'm done. You don't even need me for this one. Good luck to the rest of my team. But Juju Watkins, the professional that she is, that happens to her. And then like I was watching the game, like a blink of an eye, it's like, oh, there she is with some gauze in her nose and she's back in and immediately she scores a basket and then finishes with 30 points. So that just speaks to her toughness and her mindset. And I think USC fans who are fully on board with the men and the women this year, it's so awesome to see two freshmen who are not only so talented, but I, we talked about the mindset earlier of Collier. Both these guys, their brains are special and just how they approach the game is so special. And it's easy to root for players like that who care, who want to get better, we're doing it for the right reasons. They're not divas at all. And when you have two of the number one players in the country, sometimes you can be a diva a little now and then. I haven't seen any diva-like uh, tendencies by either of these players. So what better way to start this Juzé Juzé segment than just talking about what two of these people have in common?
0: Yeah, and uh, another one, you know, reigning WNBA Finals MVP, Asia Wilson, giving Juju some love on Twitter. There was also the most the ridiculous stat. They put up Juju's stats through her first uh, six career games. They said in the last 20 years, only one other NBA, WNBA, or Division I men's or women's player has reached all those numbers over any six-game span, and that was LeBron James during uh, a span in 2004 and a couple times, actually. So LeBron James is the only other player to do that. Anytime you're in a category with LeBron James – usually you're doing something pretty good. Totally. And you not even reading out all the stats. It's ridiculous.
1: It's like this many points, this many, this, this, this <laughs> many, it's like the whole across the board box score. And it's two people. It's LeBron James and, and Juju. Yeah, I agree. When you said that, I was trying to think, have I ever been in the same conversation with LeBron at all? And the only thing I can think of is we were both in the same gym to watch Bronny play once <laughs> though. I don't think that really makes me look good or bad or anything, but I haven't really been compared to him much, so it is what it is, I guess.
0: So if you want to hear the stats, she's averaging 26.8 points per game. Just ridiculous. Uh, 45 rebounds, which is seven and a half rebounds per game, 19 assists. That's over three assists, 14 steals. So more than two steals, eight blocks and six wins. Most importantly, six wins at the end. So yeah, she's been fantastic for USC, USC, um, you know, Isaiah Collier has been terrific for, for the men too. They're only going to get better. She has been phenomenal. The spotlight is definitely at the Galen center, but it's only going to get brighter. You mentioned LeBron James. You mentioned being in the gym with him for Bronny. The news came out today as before we're recording this, that Bronny James, the James family released a statement saying he has been cleared by doctors to participate, be a full participant. Uh, Now, You were hearing some rumors like, oh, maybe he'll be available on Saturday. This is a couple days ago. And I checked. is like, no, he hasn't even been a full practice yet. And so other people are saying, oh, they're playing Auburn coming up. I don't expect him to be back then. It's going to be a couple weeks before he's actually back. But USC, they play one home game in the next two weeks. So maybe it's the next time USC comes home after playing Long Beach State next week. Uh, Maybe we'll see him back in Jersey then. At the least, we'll see him suited up now, whether he's able to play, whether he's able to play as a full participant, how many minutes they want to give him. All that stuff is way down the line, still to be determined, but great to see him be cleared and that he will be able to return to the court for USC after such a scary situation that happened for two summers in a row for USC. So great to hear that news coming in earlier today.
1: Fantastic. Just like you said. And I just wonder what the ramp up process is going to be like for him, because I don't even think shotgun will start practicing until next week. And that's the best case scenario. So that's the earliest. I don't know how long it takes to go from just kind of jogging and and moving around a little bit to go from playing in a division one college basketball game. Is that a few weeks? Is that a month to me? this timeline sort of always matched up with the Vincent Iwichuku timeline. And he came back in late January. I think Bronny could come back earlier in January. That would be my guess. That's maybe on the conservative side based on what we heard today. And I'm speculating that's probably not even fair to do right now when we really don't even know what he looks like practicing. But my big question is how quickly can you get back to being at that level of a division one college basketball player? Cause in my opinion, I feel like I'd want at least three weeks of just, getting ramped up like you need a preseason a little bit you know what i mean so that's something that i'm looking at but he can come in and when he is ready to go he'll, he'll be a really helpful three and d guy for for usc they've had some issues defensively at, at the guard spot outside of kobe johnson so i'm excited to see what Bronny can do defensively and we all know his three-point shooting is is really strong and usc has a, a lot of talented three-point shooters so he's going to help there his role will be fascinating to see what he carves out and i'm looking forward to it i Andy Enfield, he could have easily said time and time again this year, yeah, Bronny's out. I don't, I don't really know the update, and then stop there. But he's always said Bronny's a really good player. Bronny's going to have a role. He, he's always inferred that there is going to be a spot for him on this team, and now it's we're just going to have to wait and see what that's going to look like uh, probably about a month from now, I think, when he's ready to go fully.
0: Yeah, I mean, from seeing the Vincent Iwachuku uh, situation last year, a lot of the – Things I've seen as far as him warming up, you know, the shooting drills he's done in practice, him warming up before games and doing a little bit of work, all very similar timeline. And again, this is, it's happened in a very similar timeline. So that would lead me to believe that's probably going to be similar to that. Now, I don't know if Vincent had, maybe he had a, a small setback or something. I don't know. But I would think that that would be a realistic timeline that we would see him sometime in January at the latest. And that's that I think that's great news for USC to get someone back, you know, basically get a, you know, mid season edition, you know, free agency pickup, whatever, a Brian James, a guy that can come in and play three and D that's what title contenders do in the NBA, right? You go get the three and D guy late in the season to help, you know, bolster your roster. That's what USC can do here. Uh, like I mentioned, I just looked at the the full schedule. They play it. They play Long Beach state next week, uh, next Sunday. Um, I don't expect them to be back for that, but that, then they go to Auburn, Alabama State. Then they have a week off. Uh, then they go to Oregon, Oregon State. So, you know, they're not going to be home for a little bit. So I might be actually right on that, that the next home game after Long Beach State might be, you know, a potential there. January 3rd, uh, California. But the, the new year is where we would probably, if we were laying down money, would probably guess. but. We're not going to hold him back from anything. If he wants to come back earlier and is healthy, go for it. Uh, But, he, again, just like you mentioned, preseason kind of ramp up is going to have to happen for him. Um, And with his game, you can come in and still play defense. If you get back in shape and you're in condition, you can always play defense. How is the shot going to look? You know, and, and if the shot looks good, then, hey, maybe he's, he's ready sooner than later compared to a big man who needs to get in there and actually get, you know, Get the conditioning of being pounded on a little bit, I think that takes a little bit of more time than you know being a guard on the wing. So we'll see. Still, still got uh time to, to see where that goes. And there's no rush for him to come back because USC has been, you know, the rotations have been fine when everyone's healthy outside of him, especially at the guard positions. Let's move into our where they stand segment. Starting off with the women, ranked number six in the country, may even move up this week. We'll see uh, You know, when the new rankings come out Monday, if they can slide into the top five. I don't know what everyone has done in the top five this week and who has a couple games this weekend. The men slid out of the top 25 um, after losing to Oklahoma. They're right in the mix. They can get back in that with a couple of big wins coming up, uh, especially starting on Saturday against Gonzaga. Any other stats we need to know, Connor?
1: For the women, they're 26 nationally in field goal percentage, shooting just under 48%, 47.9% on the year. So that is, of course, encouraging. And then two things we've talked about a lot with them. They're 278th in bench points. The depth there is a small concern right now. And then 255th in free throw percentage at 65.8%. feel like one of these games shotgun, that's going to come back to bite them, the free throws. On the men's side... 15th in blocks per game, 5.9. Thank you, Josh Morgan. 37th in three-point shooting percentage nationally at 38.5%. They've been knocking down those triples really, really nicely. And then the three concerning stats, 151st in rebounds per game, 198th in rebound margin. The rebounding just needs to get better. 176th in assist-to-turnover ratio, which I touched on. And then similarly to the women, 224th in bench points per game. Another depth question with the men as well.
0: Moving forward, let's look at what's ahead for the women and women of Troy and the Trojans. The men on the men's side, the women of Troy have one game on Sunday. They will play. Uh, they will play San Diego University of San Diego, the Toreros, the women's ter- lady Toreros. I don't know exactly what they they go by, but they are three and four on the season. Uh, they. You know, WCC team, they're not the power or anything. So, this is a game that should, USC should win in this one. they led by Casey Newbert, who is averaging 12 and a half points and 9.3 uh, rebounds. However, she's only played four games. So, I'm not sure if she's dealing with an injury. Uh, she hasn't played in the last 10 days or so. So, we'll see if she's available for them or not. Uh, would not be good for the Toreros to not have her because the women of Troy are coming or, or they're coming to face the women of Troy. On the men's side, USC is going to Vegas to play in the marquee matchup, uh, the non-conference schedule, playing Gonzaga. This is a matchup that I've been wanting to see for my decade plus of covering this team, and it's only happened in Indianapolis in the Elite Eight, and that game never actually happened. And by that I mean USC got down by 20 in the first like eight minutes of the game, And then suddenly started playing. The rest of the game was pretty even, and it was a great game the rest of the way, except for the fact that USC was trailing by 20 the entire time. So it was like floating between 16 and 24 instead of being a four- to six-point game and going back and forth and and could have been really fun. Um, Instead, it was kind of over before it got going because USC did not take care of the ball. That Gonzaga team really pressured the ball. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to watch much of, the, of Gonzaga so far this season. Obviously they do not have drew Timmy anymore and not have some of the other guys that have been, you know, NBA players in the last couple of years. Uh, Jalen Suggs from that team that played USC in the tournament, but they're very talented once again. They got a couple of transfers coming in, led by Ryan Nimhard, who's been really good for them at the point. Uh, Anton, uh, Anton Watson is kind of shining now, now that Drew Timmy is gone. He's kind of been the second big um, or third big for Gonzaga over the years, but he's been really good for them, leading leading them with 15.7 points per game and eight and a half rebounds per game. I don't know if you've got a chance to check out the Bulldogs, but what kind of stands out uh, from, from looking at their stats and from, if you've seen them play?
1: Certainly still really talented, but you're right, Chuck, and they don't have that one, okay, this guy's a first-round pick for sure in the upcoming draft. So no star player, but I think they're really deep. And and Anton Watson, to me, he just uh, presents a matchup nightmare to USC, just a big who can really score. USC, they haven't really gone up against someone like him so far this season. Oklahoma, we saw their center be able to step out and hit threes, but I think Anton Watson, he's not going to step out too much. He'll beat you on the inside a little bit. So the interior defense for USC, I think, will be tested this week, and it really hasn't been tested the the way it will be against Gonzaga. Graham Ike is a good forward for them, and Braden Huff's having a good year. They just have a lot of size, and they can score in the interior, so it's a massive game for the USC big men. We all know the guards for USC, they're going to carry the weight scoring offensively. But to me, unless someone just really has a clunker, this is going to come down to what USC could do on the interior. Can they defend consistently and get buckets when they're presented? Because no one who follows USC would say, hey, you got to give it to Joshua Morgan. You got to give it to Kajani Wright. But can those guys, when they're put in positions to score, make the easy layups, get an offensive rebound, go back up, get two points? Because against Gonzaga, they're going to make you earn everything. And I think the big men for this USC team are going to be tested. And how they do will determine the outcome of the game.
0: Yeah, and they have five players uh, averaging double figures. So it's a well-balanced, uh, you know, anybody can kind of score. All five of those starters uh, can shoot the ball. They can step outside. Anton Watson and Greg Mike can both, both have made four of nine three-pointers. They don't shoot a bunch of them. But they can stretch you, so I think that's something they may try to do against Joshua Morgan as well. Uh, but that's going to be the battle, is those big men, and then the point guard battle should be pretty good, actually. The Ryan Nimhard versus uh, Isaiah Collier should be really fun. Uh, Nimhard's an older guy, uh, older veteran, um, and then you know we'll see if your boy Dusty Stromer makes an impact. Uh, you know, a SoCal guy from uh, Sherman Oaks, Notre Dame, if I remember correctly.
1: Yep, that's right. He is. I think like the, the sixth guy right now, He he's the one who you, you have your five starters. You, you got everyone who has the majority of the the top statistics and then he's that next group. So he'll come in off the bench, maybe provide a little bit of a spark. And he's a really talented kid who can do a little bit of everything. Mark few knows exactly what he wants when he recruits high school players and, and Dusty Stromer fits the bill. Exactly. Right.
0: Well, he's actually been starting for him this season. Now he's the guy he's like the, all right, you go sit in the corner guy. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you, everyone else is going to do the work. Uh, but Averaging almost 30 minutes a game, so he's been out there playing good defense for him, evidently to be able to get earn that many minutes. But should be a really intriguing matchup. And this is USC's opportunity, it's going to be on the national stage. Everyone's going to be watching this game on a, a sat Well, not everyone is going to be watching every college basketball fan will be watching this game because some other people will be watching some football as well. Uh, but it'll be the late night game after most of the football is over. Uh, it's because the Pac-12 championship game, obviously, is on Friday. So there's not that late window. This is the late window. So everyone's watched some, you know, the college football during the day, this will be kind of the, you know, the ice cream on top for, uh, you know, your college sports fan. So it should be a great matchup. Looking forward to it. I'm jealous of you because the football team didn't go. I was planning on going. I was planning on going, all right, double dip. This is going to be great. But with only the basketball team there, I figured – makes more sense for connor and ryan to go they're going to be closer so you guys are going to go so i'm jealous that i don't get to go see see this game but should be really fun connor any last thoughts as we wrap this up
1: no just what i said earlier it's a measuring stick game for usc men's basketball and i'm excited to see what the team looks like because i think talent wise both teams are close but gonzaga has more experience in these bigger games and I I'm just excited to see what happens because I think if USC wins, then all of a sudden it's okay. Lofty goals back on this team can really do anything that they want in terms of a ceiling. If they lose this game back to the drawing board and how do we get things figured out in PAC 12 play?
0: Yeah, it could be a really big game as far as momentum too going forward because they play, uh lumby state next week and then go on the road like i said for four straight games two to alabama two to oregon two longer trips so this is an important game for them as well as a fun one for us to to watch but that's going to wrap it up for episode number three of the usc triple double podcast part of the Parastyle podcast family i'm your host shotgun spratling saying thank you to wendell farrow for joining us that was a great interview really enjoyed that also to my co-host mr triple double connor Morissette, and to everyone for taking the time to listen Please like, share, subscribe, and leave us a review on your podcast listening platform. Send us any feedback, comments, or questions as well at at podcast.uscfootball.com. Hope you guys will all join us next week as we wrap up what happened in that USC-Gonzaga game and whether or not USC is showing signs of progress or is it time to go back to the drawing board. We'll discuss that all next week on the USC Triple-Double Podcast.